Uh, we, we were just talking earlier about how uh, this particular year, it does actually line up with uh, Holy Week. Uh, we had a beautiful opportunity of celebrating Passover uh, together, just explaining. Uh, it was very interactive teaching this past Wednesday, and to come to realize that this is uh, the actual Wednesday that uh, these things were taking place, how beautiful it is to celebrate on the actual day itself. And uh, i just so grateful to see all of you here. We are very excited about worshiping our Lord this morning. Uh, we are going to engage in uh, fellowship today and, and in, in, in unpacking God's word this morning and ultimately giving our heart wholly unto our Creator. We are going to get to see the whole story as to why Jesus came laid out this morning. We're going to have four segments that's going to go through the life, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to understand why God had to do it this way in order for us to be right standing before him. My hope is that we would begin even now to prepare our hearts to receive that which God would share with us on an individual level. Do you know God loves you on an individual level? Who are we? That God would love us to that degree. And yet he does. He knows everything there is to know about you. And he has ordained this morning for you to be in this place where you would hear his truth. My encouragement is to prepare our hearts to receive it. Would you pray with me? Father, what a joy it is to gather with brothers and sisters. What a joy it is to gather with those you have brought into this place. Lord, I pray these next few moments, as we lift up our voices, as we open our hearts, I pray, God, these next few moments is a sweet, sweet aroma unto you as an act of worship from our hearts. I pray, Lord, as those who love you declare your majesty this morning, I pray, God, that is just a sweet, sweet sound to your ear. Lord, you are indeed worthy of our praise. And it is an absolute, total blessing that you've allowed us to come before you. Even in all of our shortcomings and insufficiencies, you've called us to come before you. And I thank you, Lord, for that gracious, gracious invitation. Lord, in these next few moments, as we worship you, as we hear from you, I pray, Lord, you would meet us where we are. God, you love us to that degree to encounter us on such a personal level. Father, your mercies are unending and you desire so much for us to be right standing with you. And so, therefore, you made a way. You made a way through your son. What you accomplished through him on the cross is what we celebrate this morning. Not just... Just through, through, just through his death, but Father, more importantly, through his resurrection, his defeating of death on our behalf. I pray, God, we come to understand the full breadth of what that means this morning. And we will become one with you. And so, Lord, we are joyful. We are eager to celebrate and to lift our voices up to you. We love you, Father. We praise you. And we pray these next few moments is this the dedication of our hearts unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you all stand together?
in this morning we are serving a God of hope we are praising a God of hope estamos alabando a un Dios de esperanza usted lo cree do you believe that we serve a God of hope can you say that with me he is alive el vive para siempre reina hallelujah thank you Jesus Hey! 
Let's bless the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. He is risen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Hallelujah. So for a few minutes, we're going to talk about... If we're going to discuss the innocence of the Lamb, we need to first understand our own guilt and our own condemnation before God. There's an evangelist. His name is Ray Comfort. He does street evangelism. Check him out on YouTube. It's cool videos. He walks up to person after person on the street, and he asks a few basic questions. He says this. He says, if you were to die today, and you were to come face to face to face with a pure, holy, good God, would you be innocent or guilty? And everybody says, oh, you know, I'm basically a good person. I mean, I'm not that bad. I'm a good guy. I haven't, I haven't killed anyone. And then he begins to take them through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever cheated on your taxes in school? Have you ever lied, even in a small way? Have you ever stolen anything, maybe a piece of gum? Have you ever lusted in your heart? Jesus says, that's adultery. Have you ever been angry at your heart at someone? Jesus says, that's killing them. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain and cursed someone? To which every single one replies, well, well, of course I've done that. I mean, we all do that. So he says, you freely admit 
You're a lying, cheating, thieving, adulterous, killing, blasphemous person. Do you really think you stand innocent before a pure, holy, good God? The world is in open rebellion to God. Paul says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of His glory. The writer Malcolm Muggridge says this, that, that he points out that the sinful nature, sinful nature of man is the easiest fact to prove about our existence, and at the same time, it's the thing we want to deny the most. Noelle Maring in her book, Awake Not Woke, says we have two strategies to deflect our guilt. Two strategies. The first thing we do, we play the victim card. We want to make somebody else look guilty. How many remember Adam and Eve? Adam, why did you rebel? Why did you eat? Oh, Lord, I'm a victim here. It was the woman you gave me. Eve, why did you eat? Why did you rebel? Oh, Lord, I'm a victim here. It was the serpent. And thousands of years later, we have perfected it as Pontius Pilate stands there knowing Jesus is innocent, knowing he's innocent. And he flogs him, he condemns him, sends him to be crucified. And what does Pilate say? So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood playing the victim card to, to, to assuage his guilt. And you know what? We do the same thing. Every time we justify our actions, every time we rationalize our behavior, every time we say, I'm not that bad, we are Adam, we are Eve, we are Pilate. We symbolically wash our hands, making ourselves innocent to hide our guilt. And the second thing we do is we attack innocence directly. Innocence by its very existence stands as our judge and condemns our guilt. How many remember somebody named Cain and Abel? Why did Cain kill his brother? He couldn't allow his brother to live. His brother's innocence was a light that revealed the darkness of his own heart. So Cain kills his brother Abel. Why? Because Abel was guilty? No, because he was innocent. Cain believed that if he could stamp out Abel's light... He could hide his own guilt. What do you think is behind every gang initiation? You want to join this gang? You got to go break something. You got to go steal something. You got to go do something. Why? Because your innocence condemns us until you're guilty like us. What does that mean? That means that innocence is dominance. Innocence is power. By the very existence of innocence, innocence condemns all evil. That's why the world works so hard to stamp out innocence. And every time, every time we try to get someone to go along with our sin, every time we get, try to get someone to, to go along with our gossip, to help us cheat, to help us lie, to help us steal, to agree with our social media post, even if it's mean-spirited and hurtful, every time, whenever we try to get someone to go along with our sin, We're trying to stamp out their innocence to justify our own guilt. It's into this world, into the rebellion of mankind, into the world where we justify ourselves as a victim to hide our guilt, into a world where we attempt to stamp out innocence, comes the pure, spotless Lamb of God. John tells us, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, the condemnation, the guilt of the world. The greatest of all prophets declares, I'm not even worthy to take the straps off of his sandal. 
And for God, innocence is not just a concept, is not just an idea. It's embodied. Innocence is incarnate. Jesus came in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh. Jesus enters into time, into history. He's not an idea. He's a real person, incarnate, dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Moses taught us about guilt. Moses taught us about innocence. But grace and truth came embodied in Jesus Christ. And there's something different about the innocence of Jesus. The innocence of Jesus is not like the innocence of the world. It can't be tainted. It can't be made guilty. And the world would, could not convince Jesus to go along with its sin. For we don't have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. His light can't be put out. This is why His sacrifice for sin is so complete. Nothing puts out His innocence. There's an endless supply of love, an endless supply of grace for every struggling saint over and over, not seven times, but 70 times seven. We can bring our sin, our guilt, our condemnation to the innocent lamb and exchange it for his righteousness, his innocence. For our sake, the Father made Jesus to become sin, our guilt, our shame, our condemnation, the one who knew no sin, so that we can exchange our condemnation for his innocence. His righteousness. We become the righteousness of God. The crucifixion was inevitable. The world stands condemned before His light. His innocence condemns our guilt. What does the world do? It plays the victim card. It tries to stamp out that light to hide His guilt. Humans are going to do what humans do. Cain's going to keep on killing Abel. Pilate's going to keep on crucifying Jesus. Our sins are going to keep putting Him on the cross. Because the world doesn't understand His kind of innocence. His innocence doesn't just, his innocence can't be stamped out. It doesn't just condemn the world, it actually stamps condemnation out. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we give him our condemnation, he gives us his innocence. That's a new kind of innocence. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Up with us and let's continue worshiping our Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Gracias, Señor, por lo que tú has hecho, mi Dios. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah.
Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Amen. You may be seated. I've been given the daunting, if not impossible, task to go over the agony and the suffering that Jesus had as he was crucified. So I want to begin with a reading from Matthew, the 26th chapter, beginning with the 38th verse. And it's Jesus' prayer in the garden. Then Jesus went to his, with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Jebedee along with him. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch for me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not have kept awake for me for one hour? He asked Peter this. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away from me unless I drink from it, may your will be done. Jesus was in great anguish. He was about to approach not just physical pain, but separation from his father and the death for each of our sins. The divine course had been set, but he was in human form. He still struggled because the anguish Jesus experienced, we also experience. So he can relate to the the issues we had, but the strength that he got came from his father and the relationship that he he had with him. That is his strength, and that is our strength. You see, Jesus is not rebelling against his Father's will when he asks if the cup of suffering and separation be taken from him. In fact, he reaffirmed his desire to do God's will by saying, yet not as I will, but as you will. His prayer reveals a terrible suffering. His agony was worse than death because he paid for the sins of the entire world. He was separated from his God, from his Father. The sinless Son of God took upon the sins of the whole world. and The suffering and separation, Jesus knew what lied before him. Jesus is arrested and he goes on trial with Pilate. And Pilate turns him over to be crucified. And now a reading from John, the 19th chapter, beginning in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe, and they went up again and again, saying, Hail, the king of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. The flogging could have killed Jesus. It would have killed most people. You see, this procedure meant that The top half of your body was laid bare and your hands were tied to a pillar and you were whipped with a three-pronged whip. The number of lashes was determined by the severity of the crime and you could receive as many as 40 lashes. Now the Roman soldiers take Jesus away and mock him. A reading from Mark, the 15th chapter. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. 
Falling with their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his clothes. They led him out to be crucified. You see, the soldiers paid homage to him by mocking him. They pretended to worship him. So Jesus is led away away and placed on the cross in a reading from Luke, the 23rd chapter. Two other men, both criminals, were also laid out with him to be executed, led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they were crucified with him, all with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they, they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes and casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, save others. Let, he, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God but the cho- and the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. It was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung with him hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. You see, Jesus asked God to forgive not just those that were crucifying him, but those bystanders that stood by and those Jewish leaders that stood there and mocked him. And Jesus answered, or God answered Jesus' prayer about forgiveness by opening the way of salvation, even to those that were murdering him. And the criminal that sought forgiveness, Jesus demonstrated his love, mercy, and grace by accepting it. You see, our lives are so much more blessed when we repent and truly accept Jesus as our Savior. And Jesus dies on the cross. A reading from the 19th chapter of John, beginning in the 28th verse. Later, knowing that all was completed and so scripture could be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. And because the Jews did not want bodies on a cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear bring his sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw this was giving testimony. He testifies that you may also believe. These things happened so that scripture could be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And the other scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. 
The Roman soldiers would break a victim's leg to hasten death. You see, as a person hung on the cross, they were suffocating. And so they would take their feet and push against the cross so that they get some breath. The graphic details of Jesus' death are especially important in John's record because he was an eyewitness. Jesus died as the lambs for the Passover meal were slain. Not one bone was broken in the sacrificial lambs. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. As you look upon this next slide, I want you to see the agony and the pain that Jesus suffered. And listen to the words that Isaiah writes. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he took upon, took, up on our suffer, took upon our sufferings and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crucified for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and his wounds, we, by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned his own way, and God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led to a, like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers, he was silent. He did not open his mouth. As you look upon this slide, know that Jesus loves you that much to go through the pain and the agony being separated from his father and for paying for the sins of each and every one of us. He loves you right where you are. Amen. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. We were lost, but we have been found. We were lost in our own sin, Jesus gave us forgiveness. That's why this morning we can sing. Hallelujah. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry this kind away?
was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I need a shelter, I was an orphan, but you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing, you are the love in the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open, and when you call my name, I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness, into your glory and grave <laughs> hallelujah jesus is the and because he lives we live cristo está vivo y porque él vive nosotros vivimos digo si cristo no resucitó mejor nos quedamos en la casa haciendo carne asada I say, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then let's just stay home watching TV and making a barbecue, right? Because then it's all a facade. But he did rise. Pero sí resucitó. Y él está vivo. Y tenemos una esperanza. Amén. Saben de que la resurrección de Cristo fue verificada por testigos. The resurrection of Christ was verified by people who actually saw it happen. So I'm simply going to read scriptures from different witnesses. Voy a leer escrituras de diferentes testigos que lo escribieron, lo vieron y testificaron y se lo pasaron a los demás. Who wrote it down, testified it, they saw it, they, they passed it on to us, and here we are. Voy a comenzar, I'm going to start from Matthew 28, 1 through 10. Voy a comenzar en Mateo capítulo 28, 1 al 10. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook from fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. 
for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, therefore you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Rejoice! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go, bring word to my brothers to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Another witness, our brother Luke. Otro testigo, nuestro hermano Lucas. Chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Capítulo 24, versículos 1 al 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in gleaming clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise from the dead. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now these women, with these women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe the women. Nevertheless, Peter got up, good old Peter, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stopped and looked in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. A third witness, John. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came. And I'm sorry, I'm reading from John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Juan capítulo 20, del 1 al 18. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already removed from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple left and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stopped to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. However, he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him and he entered the tomb. And he looked at the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which he had, had been on his head. Not lying with the linen wrappings but folded up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb also entered. And then he saw and believed. For they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken my Lord. And I do not know where they have put him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And yet she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, have you carried him away? Tell me where you put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. 
Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. And last, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a witness to the risen Lord. El Apostle Pablo, por último, fue uno de los testigos del Señor resucitado. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Y esto es lo que él dice en 1 de Corintios, capítulo 15, versículos 1 al 8. Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I handed down to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James... Then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one ultimately born, he appeared to me also. I'm going to tell you one thing. The risen Christ came to my life and changed me. El Cristo resucitado vino a mi vida y me cambió. And I know that here in this room there are a bunch of other witnesses to whom the risen Christ has come and has changed your life. Y yo sé que para muchos aquí en este cuarto ha venido el Cristo resucitado y ha cambiado tu vida. So here we are, being witnesses of the risen Christ. Praise be to him. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Gracias, Señor. ¿Qué haríamos sin tu maravillosa gracia? What would we do without your amazing grace, Father? it was your grace that saved us it was your mercy Father that raised us fue tu gracia Padre la que nos levantó fue tu misericordia la que nos mantiene aquí Hallelujah.
service to a close, I have one question for you. Where do you stand before the Father? I have another question I want us to consider. Is there a difference between believing and faith? Back in the 1850s, there was a man named Charles Blondin. He made himself famous by tightrope walking across Niagara Falls. It was an incredible feat. He would walk across and come back, walk across and come back. He would never slip, never stumbled. People started to gather, and he upped the ante by taking a wheelbarrow all the way across on the tightrope and all the way back. As hundreds start to gather, watching him accomplish his incredible feat, he thought it would make it even more challenging by putting a safe Inside this wheelbarrow, the crowd was silent, watching him take this lopsided, weighted object all the way across Niagara Falls, turning around, going all the way back. It was incredible. The crowd was going nuts. They couldn't believe what they're watching. Now, as these hundreds have gathered to see him do this, he said, listen. How many of you believe I can put a human being in this wheelbarrow? 
I mean, the crowd was going nuts. They just could not, could not believe this is about to happen. He said, oh, yes, we believe it. We believe. He said, okay, I just need one volunteer. <sighs> Got real quiet yet again. You know, here's the thing. I, I think they genuinely believed that if someone was brave enough to get into that wheelbarrow, that he could safely take them across Niagara Falls, turn around, and come all the way back, just as they've seen several times just moments before. I think they genuine believe, genuinely believed that he could do it. But nobody put their faith in him. They believed what they saw, but no one put their trust in him. No one trusted him with their life in his hands. So is there a difference between believing something to be true and putting your faith in something? You see, I think there is a difference between believing in someone and putting your trust in that person. I think that makes all the difference about where you stand before the Father. Let me explain. What you just heard moments ago from the pastors this morning was the details of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard the story before. Maybe you're already familiar with the details of his life, the details of his burial, the details of his resurrection and all those who were eyewitnesses to these things. Maybe this is not your first Easter service and you've heard this story before. But it's not just a story, is it? It's his story or it's history. What you guys just heard from the reading of God's word is the historical, historical account of factual events by the eyewitnesses who were there to observe it. They saw this firsthand. They observed what God accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What you heard this morning are the facts about Jesus. Do you believe them? If you say yes, I'm glad to hear it. But listen, if that is as far as it goes for you, telling you we have a problem if we believe in the idea of christianity and do not follow god through saving faith in jesus christ what we might have is empty religion listen empty religion doesn't save us coming into an environment like this on easter sunday does not save us the Bible says that gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel that we must not just believe, but as a result of that belief, we put our total trust in God alone through saving faith in his son. That the outpouring of our life is reflecting this walking in a true love relationship with him that was restored because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Because of what God accomplished through Christ on the cross. You see, it's not enough to simply believe the historical account you just heard is true. 
In fact, the Bible says that even the devil and, his, uh, and the demons believe. They believe the truth about God. They believe that there is only one God. They understand the truth and they tremble. Why? Because they understand what this truth means. They understand what this truth means for them. It means that Jesus really was who he said he was. They understand what it means for them. They understand what it means for you and for me. And trust me, they are not confused as to what the facts mean. They understand more theology than anybody in this room. And yet they are not right with God. Understanding and believing the facts. That's not it. That's not the journey. That's just the beginning. You see, there's a huge difference between understanding the facts about Jesus and putting your trust in him through saving faith. We have to go from here to here. I've heard it said that people are 18 inches from eternal life. This is what happened with a man named James, and we're going to close with his story. You might have heard of James. Very famous guy in the Bible. He has his own book. He was the oldest of Jesus' younger brothers. Yes, Jesus had brothers. He had four of them. And at least he had at least two sisters. His brothers were Simon, Jude, Joseph, and James, the oldest of his younger brothers. James was actually one of the most influential apostles of the Christian faith. In fact, he wrote one of the more impactful books of the New Testament that we had the privilege of unpacking a few months ago. The Apostle Paul later refers to James as a pillar of the church. Man was a man of faith. You know, he didn't start off that way. Oh, no, no, no. James, the brother of Jesus, was probably Jesus' greatest skeptic. He didn't believe the things that Jesus was saying about himself. He didn't believe the things that Jesus was saying was to come. In fact, James didn't believe anything, any of the words that he spoke. Jesus said that he was alive before Abraham, their ancestor of the Old Testament. He didn't believe that. Jesus said that he, uh, that if you saw him, you saw God. Jesus said he could forgive sins. Jesus said that he could grant eternal life. Jesus said that no one can come to God except through him. And his brother didn't believe any of that. He heard everything Jesus was saying and even saw him perform some of these miracles. But he didn't put his faith in Jesus. Listen to me. He did not follow Jesus with his life. There is a distinction. He did not believe in Jesus. In fact, none of his brothers did. They all scoffed at him even. They wanted to get rid of him. In John chapter 7, it says this, But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him this, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can become famous if you... Uh, I mean, how can you become famous if you hide like this? If you can do some, so much wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, at the time of this writing... At the, time of these, these, at the time that these brothers were saying this to Jesus, they were trying to persuade him to go to Judea, not just to get rid of him momentarily. 
They knew that in Judea there was a warrant out for Jesus' arrest. He might be taken into custody. He might even be killed. Talk about a sibling rivalry. For James specifically, his skepticism started when he heard these words by the, the prophet John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, in reference to Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. James heard those words. And I, I don't know what's going on in Jesus' mind there, but he didn't believe it. He heard that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus? My brother? I mean, great guy, but the Messiah? Come on. I mean, give him a little bit of a break. Imagine if someone said that your older brother is the Messiah. Someone said your older brother is the perfect one who would come and take away the sins of the world. Now, Jesus may not be able to live up to that title, but he still didn't believe it. Jesus heard many of the same things you just heard this morning. And yet he did not have saving faith in him. Even up to the crucifixion, James didn't believe in Jesus. But here's the thing. James didn't stay that way. What would it take to transform the heart of Jesus' biggest skeptic? You know, it's just one thing. James was a smart man. If you look at his writings, it's undeniable. God gave him a brain of incredible understanding and wisdom. What changed his skepticism? What happened with James that, James that changed everything? What happened in James' life that took him from skeptic scoffer to anointed apostle? There's one thing. A personal encounter with the resurrected Christ. It took him coming back from the dead for something incredible to happen in James' life. Pastor Hurst, in reference to this passage a little while ago, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, for, I have received, for what I have received, I pass on to you as of first importance, saying out of everything I'm going to say, this is prime, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to, uh, to, to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of, of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Some of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. James comes directly and personally to James. A one-on-one encounter. With an unbeliever. While in his unbelief, James had a post-resurrection encounter with the risen Lord. Have you? This post-resurrection encounter with the risen Lord changed his life forever. No other historical account has been more scrutinized than the raising from the dead. No, no, no. More heated debate has been had over the resurrection of Jesus. Not because it's hard to believe, but because of what it means if it's true. And here's James, the biggest skeptic, now seeing the resurrection, resurrected Lord. 
If you had any doubt as to whether or not Christ raised from the dead, understand James was an even bigger skeptic than you were. And he saw him face to face. Now at this point, we can safely say that James, one of Jesus' biggest skeptics, at the very least, believes Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, he's looking at him. How do we know that that truth about Jesus' resurrection, coming back from the dead, him actually accomplishing what he said he was going to do, how do we know that that truth about Jesus actually transformed who James was from the innermost, invisible, intangible part of who he is? Let me show you something. We're going to close with this. Look how James opens his book, his epistle. Look at the opening line of the letter he writes. This is James chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my brother, Jesus. Not that teacher, Jesus. Not that good guy that did incredible things. My Lord, Jesus Christ. You know what Lord means? Lord means master. Here's probably the most important question you'll ever be asked. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? He either is or he isn't. Here's the reality. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every mouth will confess this. Every heart will declare Jesus is Lord. The question is, will that happen now? And you be the voice that is, ex- that is ex- uh, just shouting this out in one unit with all the saints? Or will your knee be forced to bow, recognizing that he is indeed Lord and then judged? The Bible says this, it is appointed unto man to die once and then there's judgment. But there's hope. You know, Romans 8.1 says this, For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You may have heard the story before, but there's a difference between believing the facts about Jesus and actually following him in saving faith. Christ means Savior. And James identified Jesus as Lord and Savior, meaning he didn't just believe with his eyes when he saw Jesus. It means he surrendered his life to Jesus, trusting him as his only hope for salvation. Is that you? I have one more question for you. But this was not between me and you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Listen, there's nothing super spiritual about closing your eyes and bowing your hearts. This position is not some holy position. But it does give us a particular kind of focus. I want to ask you the question. We know the facts about Jesus, but is he your Lord? Here's what you need to consider in the quietness of your own heart right now. 
God is a loving God, absolutely. His mercies are unending. But because he is also just, he doesn't just ignore our sin. What sin has produced is separation. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what death means in the Bible. It means separation. When you die, your spirit and your soul are separated from your body. You don't get to take your body with you. You are separated from it. But the Bible says there is a second death. Eternal separation from God. That is the consequence of sin, and God did not want that for you. Yes, God is a loving God, but he's also a just God. And because he is loving and merciful, he made a way for us to not only be forgiven, but to have a restored relationship with him. Father, as we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed, our hearts open to you, I pray, Father, that there be anybody in this room that is apart from you. If we have subscribed to empty religion, I pray, God, that we cast that away. Father, it is nothing compared to a true love relationship restored as a result of what you accomplished through your son Christ. God, I pray if there be anyone separated from you in this room that you would encounter them right now. The Bible points out that it, it requires a personal encounter with the risen Lord to come to him in saving faith. Here's the thing. The Bible says no man seeks after God. So listen, if God is encountering you right now saying that needs to be you, that is your encounter with the Lord. If in the quietness of your seat, you know, I'm apart from God, but I don't want to be. If no man seeks after God, then that means God is encountering you in this moment. If you're hearing me, if you're hearing the words that the pastors just shared with us this morning, and recognize that what Jesus accomplished on the cross needs to count for me too. But I know I'm not following him in saving faith. If God is revealing that to you in the quietness of your own heart, that is the encounter with God. God in his, he is rich in mercy and he desires that sinners would be saved. Sinners like me, when Pastor Mark mentioned that we are all lying, thieving, adulterers at heart, murderers at heart, that includes me too. We are all in need of a Savior. And if God is calling on you to say, I no longer want you to be apart from me, that is the encounter with the post resurrected Lord if that's you I want to pray with you if that's you I just want I just want to pray with you you say Zeke that is that is me I do need to make right with the Lord I don't want religion anymore I want to walk with him in true saving faith and I want to do that today if that's you just look up here with me okay anybody else Are you looking here? Okay. 
Anybody else? I just want to pray with you. Right here? Okay. Anyone else? Right here? Okay. Right here, brother? I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. Just stand up right where you are. Those of you who, who looked up right here, just, just stand up. I want, I, want you, I want you to see something. Amen. This is what it feels like to walk with him in obedience. This is what it feels like for him to say, your mind, and I want you to follow me. I want you to walk with me. This is what it feels like to stand for what is true. Where you're moving from here to here. I don't just understand the truth. I am desiring to live the truth. And I want to pray with you. Father, for these that are standing, these are yours. Lord, it is, it is by your calling on this eternal soul that brings about salvation. And I praise you, Lord, for these who have answered that call and said, Yes, Lord, I need what Christ accomplished on the cross to count for me too. And Father, that we would walk with you in such a way that we get to be the living representation of what it looks like to have a restored love relationship with you where our sins are cast as far as east is from the west and that you remember them no more. Lord, for these that are standing up for you, I pray, God, that as you have met them where they are, that from this moment forward, you would embrace them the purest, most joyful love relationship we could ever experience in spite of all circumstances knowing that our joy cannot be diminished because we now belong to you. Father, we love you. God, I praise you for opportunities for us, for you to call on us unto yourself. Call on us unto yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give the Lord a round of applause? Hallelujah. Pastor Mark. As we um, as we close out this morning, just a few things we wanna we wanna touch on. If you if you stood up this morning, we wanna help you. We wanna bless you. Pastor Zeke, Pastor Terry are going to be over here. Please come over and see them. We have something we want to give you. If you responded to, to the Lord speaking to your heart this morning, don't leave without seeing them. And uh, let us help you get started. Let's help you walk this. Number two, we are very, very grateful for all those that help support the ministry here and, and what we're about. There's baskets up here. There'll be 
some baskets in the doors, some other rooms to box out front. So if you'd like to participate in offering, there's envelopes in the seats. Along with that, there's also cards for prayer requests. If you have a need in your life and you want us praying with you, if there's something going on, you need to, that someone to stand with you in agreement, fill out that card and, and it will go to the prayer team and, and we'll be praying with, with you. Our prayer tomorrow night, we invite you to join us for that. Uh, if it's a private request that you just want to go to the pastors, just simply fold it in half and uh, it'll just get to the pastors. You know, you can drop it into the offering baskets and, and we'll, we'll be sure to get it. Uh, all the prayer cards. The other thing I want to mention, whether you stood up or not, it is really important. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you in some way this morning. If God is drawing you, if God is calling you, today is the day. Don't leave here without praying with someone. Don't leave here without chasing down one of the pastors, chasing down somebody and saying, I need to pray. I may, I may be walking with the Lord already, but I, I need to pray. I need to respond to the Holy Spirit this morning. Today is the day. Don't let that go. Don't leave behind what God's doing in your life. And finally, thank you for coming to fellowship. We're going to continue to fellowship. Right on the other side of that wall, many of you saw it when you were coming in, we've got all kinds of lemon treats. We've got lemonade. There's all kinds of desserts. Can we just take a few minutes as a family? Before we rush out, before we run out, let's spend a few minutes as a family together. Come in, maybe meet somebody new, maybe meet somebody old, or maybe meet somebody who's new and old at the same time. That would be me, right? <clears throat> and, and, uh, and, and come join together in fellowship for a few minutes before we leave. Let's have some family time to, to fellowship together. It's right there. It's all set up. Come join us over there. Can we do that? Father, we bless you. We thank you. Lord, I thank you for every soul, every family that's represented in this place. I thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, what you will continue to do. I thank you that you enable us to be a part. I thank you that you've given us new life. You've poured out your spirit upon us. May it not simply be about what we've come in here, what we've heard in here, but may we feel and be equipped to carry it outside of this door. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Messiah, by the light and the power of the Holy Spirit. With you, Father, you are one God forever and ever. Amen.